and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. I'll be joined by my brother Brian, who's on the road today, which is always interesting, especially this time of year, just to see what's going on out in fields, what what crops look like, not just right around our own farm, but but further out in the region. And I bring that up because I've talked to so many folks who said, oh man, it's really tough right around here. And I, I just ask where people are from always and, and kind of try and figure out exactly where that is because I don't know every small town in, in the region, but I hear where people are from and I, and I know somebody relatively close in many cases and I think, well, wait a second, they said you caught an inch of rain last week. Well, we did get an inch, but you know we're still dry. And then you compare it to the people who didn't get that inch of rain and you say, you know what, why don't you go 20 miles north? You've been 20 miles away from home. Nope, haven't been so busy around home. Drive a little bit away from home. You'll see real quickly that there's some other folks out there that have it just as bad, if not worse, in many cases. Now, this year, there have been a lot of degrees of what could be bad. We had some hail recently come through the area. That's certainly one thing. But when you think about the, the insect pressure in some areas, especially this year, it have been more grasshoppers in the West, that type of insect. Uh, and then you think about the mites. Wow, the spider mite issue this year has been really severe. I was just talking with a soybean breeder today who covers uh, the Illinois, Wisconsin area coming west across the upper Midwest. And he said, man, I just can't hardly believe how many mite issues there are out there this year and how they're not just on the edges of the field like, like I would normally see. They're spread throughout the field in many cases and significantly impacting yield. That's that's pretty scary. I know for our farm, we sprayed twice for spider mites. That's the first time that's ever happened for us. So certainly something to keep an eye on. As we as we travel around and just talk to folks uh, around the country about things that are going on, we've got corn that's either at harvest or nearing harvest. And I had a comment from, from someone just the other day about the sweet corn that, yeah, we, we quit taking sweet corn. And I said, oh, what's what's wrong with the sweet corn? And I said, well, it's there's so much tip back and it's just not a good sign for what our field corn is going to be in. Certainly if you're in one of those drought stress areas, that's, that's something to be watching is what is the impact right now uh, on tip back and those types of things are, are we, we losing each day that we're out there? We've, we've been watching our cornfields a little bit, just thinking about silage harvest, which is right around the corner here with the heat units that we've had with as early as we got in the ground, we're ahead of schedule. I would say the beans are a good week ahead of schedule right now. The corn maybe more like two or even three weeks ahead of where we often are, uh, especially coming out of 2018, 2019, where we had a lot of cloudy days and and it wasn't quite so hot like it ended up being the end of 2020 and then into 2021. So don't be going by... I'd say the historical schedule of when we do things around the farm, here's here's how we do them, or here's when we normally watch for this problem or that problem. Uh, and another one of those problems, too, that they might be saying, well, haven't seen much of this yet, is Goss's wilt. And you may be thinking, well, we're probably in the clear if we haven't seen a lot of Goss's pressure yet. Uh, it mentioned the hail and some of the wind storms that have been traveling through, and a lot of times when we get leaves that are whipped up and ripped up, we end up with more potential to get something like Goss's wilt going in the crop. 
Haven't seen much of it yet this year on our own farm, but certainly we're, we're expecting since we are in an area that historically has had some gosses over the last five to 10 years that it could certainly pop up again for us. But we are getting further or far enough along with our crop. We aren't expecting any major yield impact if we do have it, but certainly something to be watching for and trying to identify in your fields. We see a lot of misidentification of leaf diseases in corn. It's one of the reasons we put together the free Ag PhD Corn Diseases app work together with the American Phytopathological Society to to get a really good guide for for every farmer out there to be able to just take right with you with your smartphone, walk into the field, you see something on the leaf, and you can, can quickly and easily pull up, all right, let's look at foliar diseases here, see which one kind of matches what I'm seeing in the field. Or if you see a lesion on the leaf and you're trying to determine, well, is this gray leaf spot or could it be bacterial leaf streak or, or something like that, you can see what the differentiating factors are. The gray leaf spot is one that that tends to stay in between the veins. So we see oftentimes rectangular lesions on the leaf staying within the, in between two veins with the bacterial leaf streak. We often, it's bacterial rather than fungal, number one, but we oftentimes see an irregular shape on the outside. It does, it does tend to stay between those veins, but it's not quite as blocky looking as what the gray leaf spot is. So certainly some differentiating factors there. And of course, northern corn leaf blight, much different with uh, big cigar-shaped lesions eventually happening on the leaves. So do download that. It's free. You can also download the free Ag PhD soybean diseases app if you're out checking soybean fields. And one of the things that I'm starting to hear some call for even further north is we're seeing in the areas that got the rain, we're seeing a little more frog eye leaf spot out there. So something to keep a watch for. Uh, Brian, any comments you've got just as you're traveling around the country right now? I'm talking just a little about corn and soybean diseases. Haven't seen a lot yet, mainly because they've been dry. Well, I don't know. I I, I think there are some uh, quite a few diseases out there. We've seen sclerotinia white mold, a number of different things. But the big thing is keep scouting. I've been talking to a few guys today about, okay, well, is it getting too late to do anything? I'm, I'm like, well, on corn, we're getting to the end. But on soybeans, you could still do something now. So, I mean, whether it's an insect or a disease or something like that, don't give up too early on your beans. We've got a couple weeks to go in a lot of areas before I would consider, you know, calling it quits. And there's still potential out there. You know, the other thing is, even if your yield's a little low because of drought or whatever, you don't need many bushels back, maybe one or two, just to pay for that fungicide or miticide or whatever it is. We're going to be talking about Goss's wilt on our show today, but clearly we've got crops in different conditions around the country. If you want to talk about something else, that's fine. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. 
Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we're going to tackle one of those problems. And once you see it get going out in your field, you just have to start planning for next year because you aren't really going to change it for this year. At least that's my understanding. Unless we pick up some new information, that's one of the reasons we're talking to Andrew Friscop with North Dakota State University. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Darren. How are you doing today? Well, pretty good. If I see gosses wilt in my cornfields, though, I just chalk it up to a learning experience. And, you know, I'm going to have to check my hybrid selection and maybe pick a better one for next year. I don't really have any good solutions for what I can do to slow it down this year, unless I'm missing something. Have you found anything at all that slows this stuff down? Uh, that's a great question. So you hit the nail on the head where you no know, hybrid selection is always our first two. And we started dabbling in uh, some more research looking at uh, foliar applications with crop protection products, but we run into limitations. One is active residual on the leaf, and more importantly, we see a lot of inconsistency being able to suppress the disease. So, you know, what it is, is it's an awareness tactic. You see it, you're aware of it, start planning about next year, start thinking about some of those management tools. Okay, a couple of things here. So we, we'll get into the management tools here in just a second, but I, I can already hear it. Some of our listeners are going to say, what, Darren, what are you doing? Why are you talking to guys in North Dakota State? Shouldn't you be looking at different parts of the country? They certainly don't have gosses up there. But, Andrew, I've been in your state for several years here. We've seen gosses and some fields with some pretty high pressure. Yeah, so we've been doing a uh, corn disease survey for the last eight years, and the one disease that is causing the most economic concerns is gosses wilt. We've we identified the disease back in 2012 and we've been kind of tracking its progression, not so much in the heavy corn acreage areas of North Dakota, but across the state. And I can safely say I can find it in the southeast corner of North Dakota all the way up to the northwest corner. So that tells me a couple things. One, it's here to stay. Two, we gotta we gotta start thinking about some management strategies. And to kind of give you an idea of how frequent it is in our state, if we 
average the last three years looking for gossip out in the field, it ranges from 55 to 60% of the fields we, we find it in. Now, it's not a train wreck in every case, but it's definitely there, and this is something you have to be aware of just from the diagnosis standpoint. Okay, so you mentioned management techniques and things that, that you can do, and obviously South or North Dakota is a little different growing area. You're further north. Growers are definitely concerned about we've got a short growing season here. It's going to be pretty cold in the spring, and fall comes pretty early some years. What are some of the strategies that growers will use in your state trying to, to stave off gosses wilt as much as they can? Most of the message for me, it is based off that hybrid selection, making sure you're paying attention to those scores. Because one thing that we've tried to have a better understanding of is uh, with the shorter day hybrids and might be seeing some different genetic differences, what what type of sacrifice does it mean if you decide to select a susceptible hybrid versus resistant hybrid? And some of our studies, some of the susceptible hybrids are 30 to 40% year loss and a simple uh, hybrid change, you can reduce that to three to five percent. So that's that's kind of what I speak about as numbers. Is like that's the importance of it. What else can you do? Um, certainly, we have some cultural practices. Uh, crop rotation can help. Residue management can help, but that may not always be a, one of the tools that they can use. Um, so the best thing is, uh, you know, one thing you could probably change quickly is the hybrid, and then the other accumulation of these other tools can help reduce disease risk, but. And the fact of the matter is it's just, it's the one disease that I'm most actively pursuing as far as uh, making sure we're getting the right message out there for, for all the corn growers in the north. All right. So you've got a lot of different crops to get planted up in North Dakota. And certainly many times when we bring up some of these topics of, of tough to control weeds, tough to control diseases, insects, whatever it may be. In North Dakota, the response we get from a lot of, a lot of our listeners is, well, I'm going to a three or four crop rotation here. We just won't see that crop back in this field for a while. I think with Goss as well, that's a pretty good strategy, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that works, and um, it, it does help within the field, but I always kind of remind folks, too, is when I'm scouting for gosses, even if I'm doing at 60 miles per hour or if I'm in the field and I'm walking three miles per hour, you can kind of see where it's going to start. One thing I notice is on field edges, a lot of times we see uh, gosses will start, and you may be doing everything right, but maybe some residue that's blowing over, some residue movement, that's how it can reestablish it within a matter, matter of one year. The other thing that I found interesting just look, walking through fields, if you have a corn-soybean rotation, for example, um, some of the volunteer corn that can come up, you can still find gosses on there. So that tells me that, uh, yes, you're going to reduce the amount of pathogen in that field, but in some cases, it's still it's probably important to still look at that hybrid selection because it may surprise you in some of those situations. Yeah, it can certainly make a difference. Now, when you, you talk about North Dakota and Goss's wilt, how early have you seen it in the season? At what point are you recommending growers be out there scouting their fields? I, I think in a traditional year, um, right now is a good time to be looking for it. I, I think that's when we start seeing the leaf flight phase. Uh, we, we have seen uh, true systemic wilt from the, from the pathogen. Uh, this year is a perfect example. I got my I got my first call with Goss's Wilt uh, dating back right around the 4th of July. Uh, so they're able to find it uh, that early. But we've had, as everybody kind of knows, that we've had a pretty dry year. So we haven't seen much more since then. But now is when I'm going to be sending my crew out to start looking for Goss's Wilt just to see, to see how, how much we have again. So it's a good time to look for it. Um, it usually, in, in, in our field, we don't see very many diseases. 
And that's the one disease that will stick out to you after you see it once. All right. I know that that we want to properly identify things because as soon as growers hear, oh, no, there's gosses in my county or in my part of the state, uh, that, that makes everything start to look like gosses out in the field. We all think, uh-oh, we, we probably have it out here too. What does a farmer do? What, what's his best call when, when he thinks he might have some gosses? Do you recommend him sending in leaf samples or, or talking to extension agents, or where do you like to go? I like to use the all the above uh, type of mentality, but in, in the truest sense is um, first, you know, you can identify a sick looking plant and it, it may be drought stress, it may be a nutrient, um, nutrient stress, and, and, or in this case might be a disease. And one way to separate gosses from just about everything else is you'll see water soaking, which more or less kind of looks like a grease spot on the leaf. Uh, you will see freckles, um, which are more or less a black water um, water soak marks in the middle of the lesions and you're more likely going to see it in the upper canopy at this time of the year now for help with diagnosis um, working with the local county agent or the, or the extension educator is a great resource um, and there's plenty of guides online we have the crop protection network that has a pretty good thorough understanding of diagnosing gossip world as well so there's a lot of resources out there one of my favorite ones, though, is picking up the phone, having a conversation with that extension agent, because that will give you some of the some of the language that's not always in the in the paragraph itself when you're reading up on a disease. Great stuff there. We're talking with Andrew Friskop from North Dakota State. Andrew, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today, and good luck to you in your fight against this tough bacterial disease. Now, thanks for the call. Hope you have a great rest of the week. You bet. You as well. Hopefully uh, we keep getting some rain here too. That's been really promising later in the growing season for us where we've been really dry. But one of the things that happens when we get a little bit more moisture, we can have a little more spread of disease. And we're talking about Goss's wilt on, on today's show. And of course, this is one we can't stop with fungicides because it's a bacterial disease. So it's important to identify exactly what you're looking at. Andrew gave us some great tips there about what you can do if you see some Goss's wilt out in your fields. It's as far as the hybrids go, this has been an interesting discussion too. And I do get one of the, I don't know, there's so many blessings about the the jobs that, that I get to do. But one of them has been I've gotten to talk to a lot of corn breeders over the years and I do on a regular basis about what are some of the developments, what are the breeders really working on because they can't work on 10 aspects at the same time. They've got to have some focus on one or two things that they're really driving hard on. And I know Goss's wilt tolerance, even in the 75 and early 80 day maturities that some of the growers up in North Dakota are going to be planting, they've been working on that. And certainly they've been working at it down through the 80, 90, 100, 110 day maturities really well. And we're seeing some nice improvements there. Not that there aren't a few products. I know there's a a hot rod 115-day hybrid that I've been watching this summer that looks great, except for Goss's wilt tolerance. So it's still something you have to pay attention to if you're in those areas that historically have had some Goss's pressure. All right, we'll talk more about that topic and uh, get some other good guests coming up. But we'd love to hear from you too, 844-44-AG-PHD, with any agronomic topic that you have. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. 
New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And really excited for our next guest. You've got Kip Cullors with us, one of the world's greatest farmers. He's down in Missouri. Kip, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. It's nice and warm down here today. I guess it's a normal <laughs> August day. Yeah, it usually is in August in your part of the world. Now, we're talking about Goss's wilt on the show today. Do you have any disease challenges that have been tougher to fight this year, or what kind of year has it been for that? Uh, no, we're pretty normal. We fight southern rust in our corn more than we do Goss's wilt, but, you know, you do an application fungicide, and usually it takes care of it. I know a few guys had to do two shots. Uh, we got fortunate we didn't have to do the second application, but we we get a lot of the rust in here. It blows up out of the south and and uh, out of the Gulf and and uh, can sure take a corn crop. You, know, you can lose 30, 40 bushels, you know, in a week pretty easy. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. You got to be timely with things. And I know we were talking about weed resistance on the show here just the other day. And, and unfortunately you weren't able to be on the show that day, but I, I know if we talk weed resistance, your area has certainly been hit hard with that one too. What are you seeing now? Is, are, are main, are the main products like Liberty still working? Are you starting to see that one slip too? Well, Arkansas, University of Arkansas just identified Palmer, uh, some strains of Palmer that's resistant to, to, liberty and and if my memory serves me correctly about whenever roundup become resistant or they become resistant to roundup within three years it's pretty well widespread everywhere and and uh the worst thing we got facing us is there's just nothing new coming down the pipe and and a guy has just got to use the pre-emerge and do the best you can our biggest challenge is is uh what we're fighting is behind our green beans like we'll grow some green beans dry land and we'll have uh we'll pick them green beans and and i think we're gonna have to go back to what we did before we had roundup ready soybeans so i thought when roundup ready soybeans come out i thought i had died and went to heaven and because uh, we just go in there and no-till them soybeans in there and we just spraying that roundup over the top and and man we just kept our fields perfectly clean and but the problem is when you pick them green beans you go through there and you strip all the leaves off any few straggler weeds that might have escaped on us out there. And then you got this big old stump because what we'll do is we'll hit it with gramoxin or paraquat and burn that down. And, uh, uh, but the problem is that just burns what leaves green you have out there. Well, it comes back. Well, then we've hit it with Liberty and it didn't, we just didn't get 100% kill, so we've sprayed about every one. We have sprayed every one of those fields twice with Liberty, and I still think we got a few escapes, and that's how we build that resistance when you don't get those weeds killed. So lesson I learned this year is, and before we, you know, last year we had 30 days after you planted, you could spray the extend. Well, they got the July 1 cutoff date. Well, our double crop, you know, we're out of the window on that. Right, so right. I think what we're going to have to do is go back to steel. Just have to disc the ground and and uh, kill them because you can't. You, it's just impossible to kill that big old stump. I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, it gets to be gets to be a real challenge. And I think about the the critical weed free period. And I know when you're shooting for really high yields, what do you think that is? Because you talk about using pre emerges all the time, Kip. You talk about having that field as clean as you possibly can. Is there a time where you say the weeds? You have to be perfect up to this point, or do you say you've got to be perfect all year long? Well, you got to be perfect all year long because, so here's the problem. Like with the Liberty, if you get a, a Palmer that gets resistant to it, so how many seeds does one Palmer plant produce? You know what? It, it can be up, what, two, three million? Yeah, uh, easy. So my goodness, Grace, easy. So my goodness, we plant corn at, you know, depending on where you're at, but, you know, somewhere around 30,000. We'll divide 30,000 into, just say, 2 million. Well, look how many acres one plant will produce, how many acres of perfectly stand yeah. corn you've got out there from that one plant. So you, you just can't let anything go the seed, especially the resistant ones, because, I mean, Roundup, it, it just don't work at all for us now. Uh, matter of fact, we just usually, we just spray in Liberty and Clepidin and, uh, it was actually cheaper, but, uh, you know, we sure don't need getting this same boat with the, with the Liberty. And I would say, and I would, I was told by some guys that 
that they thought that Liberty would probably break down quicker than Roundup did on resistant weeds. Well, it's certainly getting used on a lot of acres now, and you look at all the traits that are coming pretty much all of them have liberty tolerance in the trait because they know that's an important chemistry just because there haven't been resistant weeds to it. But when we're what I've always been critical about with that liberty system is we're spraying straight liberty all the time. And so we're using one mode of action. And if we're ever going to have resistance, just like what happened with Roundup, much to your point, Kip, we were spraying Roundup all by itself. We weren't putting tank mix partners with it. And lo and behold, we get resistance. Well, we've been doing the same thing with Liberty now for a number of years. And I just think we got to get back to, let's get two modes of action in every pass that we make. And I know it costs more money, but that's the only way to to keep away from resistance and to spray a high enough rate and to spray it timely. Because this is the other problem I've seen with Liberty that it's been treated a lot like how Roundup got treated. Well, I got to go fishing this weekend. I don't have time to get out there. And I come back the next week and I've got 12 inch tall weeds instead of three or four. And now I may or may not kill a hundred percent of them. And that just leads to more resistance. Absolutely. And, and, uh, that's why I wish we could have kept extend past the July one cutoff where we could have tank mixed them. But, uh, of course we couldn't. So, I always say that if weed gets over two inches tall, I mean, you're hurting yourself on yield also. So, I mean, we try to spray our weeds when they're two inches tall. We've got issues, and, you know, even this year where we didn't get them killed the first time, had to come back the second time and hit them. And our fields are fairly clean. They're not as clean as I'd like to see them because I think there's one out there that's too many. But, but uh Man, we lose this Liberty deal. Holy cow. I, I, I just don't even know what the backup plan is here. Yeah. There, well, like you say, we're back to it's really conventional again because you're cut off on how far you can spray extend and how far you can spray enlist. And we already have some resistance to those chemistries. So certainly the Roundup, we've got a lot of tough weeds that that doesn't kill. And now if you don't have Liberty, it's a conventional herbicide program, crop rotation and cultivation. Yeah. Plow. I mean, my goodness, could you imagine? I mean, we all farm so many acres now. I just can't even fathom having to plow that many acres, And which I think a plow is about, it gets rid of about 80% of the uh, pigweed seed, but you still got 20% you got to contend with. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, all right, Kip, uh, you know, here we are mid-season for some. We've got uh, harvest going on in other areas. What are you working on this week? What What are the next issues coming up on your farm? Well, we just got done planting our second crop green beans, and we're putting our pre-emerge down on them right now. Uh, we planted those in a stale seed bed, and uh, we sprayed all those today, and our big deal is just trying to keep everything watered. Our corn's a little behind normal because we were cool and wet in May, and I'd say we're, our corn harvest is going to be a couple weeks behind. You were talking about your corn a little ahead. Ours is a little behind, so um, that's kind of about our next big step here is to try to do that and get fungicide on soybeans here. We're blooming. Our double crop beans are starting to bloom pretty good. So probably in about, I'd guess, 12 to 16 days we'll be thinking we need to be putting some fungicide on our soybeans. Yeah, always something going on. And I know a lot of us up in the further north that are just raising one crop per year say, man, it sure be nice to be able to double crop. But, boy, it's double the work in the same amount of time. So it's not not an easy thing to do. No, that's exactly right. There's no that, – that, so our wheat 
you've got to harvest the wheat crop and plant a soybean crop all at the same time. Or for in our case, we also grow uh, green beans, so we're harvesting green beans and planting soybeans at the same time. And and boy, you sure get spread pretty thin and trying to spray and everything else. And if you're trying to run three or four or five combines and run a couple of planters and keep a sprayer going, and oh my goodness, it can it gets pretty pretty hectic. And then in the fall of the year, uh, we're sowing wheat when we're trying to combine soybeans. So. Yeah, it, it doubles the workload. I ask myself that all the time. Why do we do this double crop stuff all the time? <laughs> well, it keeps you out of trouble, that's for sure. It's one of the reasons we love talking to you. We're talking to Kip Cullors here down in Missouri. Kip, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Hey everybody, come on in. 
Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. It is the Ag PhD Mailbag time. Our phone lines are open at 844 44 Ag PhD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Brian rejoins us here for some questions. Brian, you ready for some herbicide questions? This is from Rob in Central Illinois. He said, first of all, I'm farming some new ground, and the previous farmer had non-GMO beans for several years and built up quite a soil seed bank. Uh, first question for you, how long do you think I'm going to be fighting pigweed coming back in this field? Uh, my prediction would be 20 to 30 years. Okay. So first of all, giving you a lot of hope there, Rob. Uh, second question. Rob well, said, let's put it this way, though. The first five years are by far going to be the worst. You got five years of complete pain, then you got another 20 years of uh, just relatively normal before you get it, I mean, like really super under control. Okay. Uh, Rob says he planted a group 3.5 in list E3 soybean this year, and he still had a tough time controlling the water hemp. The beans are now at R4, and he's got another flush of water hemp that's starting to poke through the canopy. And he said, they haven't started going to seed yet, but I'm at R4 in my soybeans. Is there anything I can still spray? I was thinking about spraying Liberty, AMS, and glyphosate, but I'm wondering if that would cause crop injury, and I know that I'm way off label. <laughs> well, here at Ag PhD, we have to follow, just like for every other agronomist out there, we have to follow the labels because the label is the law. So we can't tell you to do stuff way off label. Um, at this point, I don't know if you have any options other than hand weeding. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the challenge. Liberty, that's R- Liberty's yeah, R1 and say, Roundup's Liberty's R2. R1. Right. Yeah. yeah, so that's not going to work. So here's what, here's what Rob has done so far, just to kind of give you uh, the background, Brian. He said, I started off with six ounces of Zidua Pro pre-plant. Then at V2. Oh, wait, stop. Let's just. But yeah, we'll come. We'll come. Take them one uh, at a time. Let's talk about each of these steps. Yeah, one at a time. Okay. So Zidua Pro. Here's why you should never use that in the future. Um, is you got Sharpen in there? That's not a good enough PPO. You want Valor or Authority seeking is a higher rate and have really good residual. You also have Pursuit in there that won't touch your pigweeds because they're re- resistant to the Pursuit. And you've got Zidua, which is fine, but I want to save that Zidua for early post. So instead, use a different three mode of action deal. Get a yellow out there plus Metribuzin, plus either Valor or Authority, now you're going to spend similar money and you're going to get at least double the control. Uh, It's going to be so much better. It's unbelievable. Okay, go ahead. Next. Okay. He said, so I started with the Zidra Pro pre-plant. Then at V2, I came back with 16 ounces of Enlist 1 and Outlook for a residual. Okay. Okay. So the Outlook is fine, or Zidua, either, you know, any Group 15, Warrant, whatever you want to use, that's fine. But at that point, you need to throw in another PPO, either Flexstar or Cadet. Get that in there for residual, and you're going to be money ahead. The other problem that I'm concerned about, and it's probably okay, but you went with a half rate of the Enlist 1. Okay, that's not even a labeled rate, number one. And number two, I do worry about weed resistance building up. So you might be able to get by with that as long as every single weed died. But if every single weed did not die, then that tells you you're going to be building toward resistance. So you can do that if you want to, but 
definitely I'm going to get a group 15 and a PPO out there. So if you would have run with my program, the three pre's I talked to you about already, the two po early post products uh, that I just mentioned now, you'll have 99.9 .9 control on that pigweed. And when you do that, yeah, I mean, literally in the five years, it, it doesn't have to be 20 or 30 years. I'm only assuming that we don't have perfect control in the five years, and then that just continues to lead to problems down the road. But I believe that pigweed seeds, well, most of them are only going to be viable for up to seven years. That's it. So theoretically, if we can get every single weed controlled in that field for quite a while, we're going to be in good shape down the road. All right. Then his final pass that he made at R1 was a full rate of Liberty, 42 ounces, along with a full rate of Enlist 1, three pounds of AMS, crop oil. Oh, wow. As well. So yeah, well, he really killed everything he, that was there. He really hit it hard. But the problem is no residual. Yeah, but I mean that only killed what was there today. Liberty has no residual. The two four D only has residual for maybe a week. So that's the that's the real trouble. Yep, it's it's a tough situation, Rob. No doubt about that. Going into uh, this field, it's got just tremendously high pressure, and I guess what Brian's saying is it's not going to necessarily have to break the bank in terms of the weed control options that you use. But you have right. to be very timely, right. and you have to make great selections at each pass, and include residual as much as you can to try to stretch out how long things last. Because that little bit of outlook you put on at V two. It's just not going to carry you that far, not where you're at in central Illinois, not with the rainfall you get and the, the season that you're going to have. Well, well, yeah, you can have some residual out of it, but Outlook is not a perfect product. You just need more products, so that's part of it. But, yes, I mean, the residual doesn't last forever. Okay. Now, Rob has another set of questions for us. That was kind of on the weed control side. <laughs> he said, the other thing I'm interested okay. in is is some of the different natural products that are out there on the market. He said, one that I'm interested in trying here is Alpha Complete, putting that on Inferro on my corn. Now, I got a couple questions for you because I'm considering mixing it with starter fertilizer. I'm also considering mixing it with water. The water right and bio prep to control chlorine in the water and also to uh, neutralize any pH issues and hard water. Is and that only water. for use in yep. water, or do I need that when I would use things like this with starter fertilizer? Well, Rob, it, it, it is for the water. You're, you're absolutely right about that. That's for, That part of it is for the water. And he said, also, I may use some inferro fungicide, like Zyway, for example. What should I do when I have a beneficial fungus in a product like Heat Shield that I'm interested in using? Well, one thing you can do too, Rob, is you can split things up. If you've got the opportunity of doing a two-by-two, two, I would strongly recommend that for Zyway. They had a few issues this year in furrow, mostly where they had, well, I shouldn't say, the, their only issues they had were in furrow. They didn't have any issues I'm aware of nationwide in a two-by-two. So I would put the Zyway in the 2x2 two two and not just avoid issues completely, but you can certainly use it in furrow. It is labeled. If you do use the Zyway in furrow, then I would take the heat shield out. I would move to a product called NutraShield, which also contains the same beneficial fun fungi that are in heat shield, except it's in a talc formulation. So instead of just using regular talc, you can use NutraShield and get heat shield plus other bugs, other beneficial microbes uh, with your talc and put it on that way. Uh, and then the last thing Rob said, he said, oh. I just want to tell you guys. Oh, wait, wait, oh, wait a second. Yeah, wait a second, though. You, you brought up Zyway, and we didn't, we don't, we're not here bad-mouthing Zyway, okay? Nope. Zyway is good a product. good product. 
it's a good fungicide, but what it is, it's the same thing as Top Guard as a foliar. It's a triazol. And what happens with triazols is they can inhibit gibberellic acid production a little bit. So what we're saying is uh, gibberellic acid is basically a growth hormone that can help elongate the stem. And so you actually could have slightly shorter plants, maybe slightly delayed emergence. And that's why, and, and with the right um, right plant growth hormones together with the sideway, maybe it would be fine. And also, it usually is fine in, in warm conditions and stuff. We, but to be on the safe side, we just tell you, you might just want to consider putting that Zyway in the 2x2, two two, and then you don't have any of those worries. So that, that, that's the Zyway thing. Okay, last comment Rob had. He said, I just wanted to let you guys know I'm a big fan of your show and really thought it's been a great way for me to continue learning and hear about some new ideas and practices. Hey, thanks, Rob. We really appreciate that. And and honestly, Brian, I think that's one of the big things that we do is we try. We aren't saying, hey, this is the, well, like you were just talking about Zyway. We're not telling everybody, oh, man, everybody should use Zyway on every acre. We're just saying, hey, this is a really exciting new disease control product that looks like it's got some activity throughout the season, you should try a little bit of that. I think it think it'd be something to experiment with on your own farm and we want you to do it in the safest way we can. And that's exactly what we're doing on our farm too. We did some trial work last year. We're doing some more trial work this year on, on a few more acres and we're learning more about it. And we're going to feel comfortable using it on a bigger portion of the farm, potentially going forward if the results come in good. We're going to get right back to more Ag PhD mailbag questions right after this. Stay tuned. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide or Daikon IGR Plus offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission 
give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag right now. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, we get a number of questions on just a, a broad range of topics, which, which makes it fun because you never know where in the world, literally, the questions are going to come from. And uh, I personally enjoy that. And this one comes from... Kumat, who says, you talk about fixing high pH soils in crop fields. I'm wondering what to do about my lawn. I've got a high pH situation here, too. Hey, thanks, Kumat. I really appreciate that. You know, when we talk about fixing high pH soils, it's a lot more difficult than fixing a low pH soil. So low pH soil, we add calcium carbonate. We increase the calcium percentage in, in the soil. The carbonate portion of that compound ties up with the acid in the soil and we end up neutralizing that that soil pH. It's fantastic. We, we love lime and what that can do for low pH soils. High pH soils, we don't just have one simple product to apply. We've, we really need to do a complete soil test first and find out why the soil pH is high. Because really, when you have a soil pH that's fairly neutral to slightly acidic, we feel like the nutrients are in balance in the soil to, to in large part. Not, not that you're going to have a few things you got to fix, but one thing that happens when that pH gets wildly off of neutral, maybe it gets up to an 8 or it gets up to a 9, there's something that's not in balance out in that soil that's making that happen. Now, Brian likes to talk about this first, and I do agree with him that many times we see drainage issues resulting in higher pH soils. So because there's some sort of a drainage imped impediment in the field, we can't flush out sodium or we can't flush out uh, excesses from the soil and they build up and in many cases raise the pH over a long period of time. So drainage is one thing. Now, can you do subsurface drainage in your lawn? Absolutely you can. But you've got perennial grasses out there that are going to find those tile lines. And I thought this was interesting. A few years back, I was uh, doing some work with, with my church, and I was on the church board. And we had some drainage tile lines that had filled with tree roots and, and grass roots and had finally plugged up. And they were in the ground for many years. They were pretty deep. And that was the strategy that the church had used at that time is they put them in about six feet deep because they figured, you know what, we're going to have perennial grass here. We want to 
not to have tile lines, you know, maybe shallow up at like two and a half feet or something in the soil like we might do out in a crop field. So by putting the roots deep, they did a pretty good job keeping the, the grass away from it, but the tree roots did find it eventually, and they had to replace some lines. So that's one thing you could do. You could put some subsurface drainage tile in if that's possible. Uh, the other thing that sometimes can result in a high pH issue in a lawn is erosion. And I, I've got a friend that built a house here over the last couple of years, and really built the soil up. He was concerned about, he didn't want to be in a situation where he ever had a basement that, that took on water or something like that. So he built the soil up and his basement ended up being a walkout. So he was at least at ground level and that, that was kind of his game plan anyway. So on the, uh, around the front of the house where he built up the ground. I mean, it's built up like 10 feet. So it's a, it's a pretty steep incline to get up to the front of his house. But he had some erosion because as they were trying to do it, we ended up with a drought that started middle of the summer last year. And by the time they got grass seed out, it, it didn't take off very well and they, they couldn't keep up with the water and everything. And it was just a chain of events. And then when we did get rain, it came hard and it came fast and some of that topsoil washed away. And I know I've seen this out of my crop fields too. If you get erosion that takes away that topsoil layer, sometimes you can end up with a high pH that way. So again, here you are starting from scratch on, on changing the soil chemistry a little bit. So in a lot of those eroded areas, we saw our calcium was gone. We saw some of our uh, various nutrients were gone. So we had to build those levels up. I know like on my eroded ground, I ended up having to get more calcium out there and I had to um, build a number of different things up and and um, it was a long process. So I'm, I'm hoping that erosion is not your issue. The other solution that we do see though, when it comes to fertility on some of these high pH grounds is elemental sulfur. And we get a lot of questions about, can I just put uh, a large amount of sulfur or put elemental sulfur out there to try and acidify things and, and get the pH to come down. If you've got good drainage through your soil. So if you don't see water that ponds up and your lawn doesn't sit there and stay wet for a long time, you may be able to utilize sulfur and, and try and turn things around that way. So, that would be something, those are kind of big things. And what uh, oftentimes when we ask experts about, well, I've got high pH soil, they'll say, well, just do the best you can to have a good lawn this year or to have a good crop this year. So fertilize it well, take care of it well, uh, and and just manage it from there. Who knows how long you're going to stay in that house. Maybe you're only going to be in there for a few years. Why spend all the money doing all these fixes and and then just not be able to reap the benefits for a long period of time? I don't know what your situation is, Kumat. So what I would say, I would strongly recommend just pull a soil sample, send it into a lab. Uh, we often use Midwest Labs and ask for the SC, or I'm sorry, S3C test, which is kind of their complete soil test. Or you could get the um, the Malik version of that. And I'm trying to think what that that number is. Um, the S3M test, I think, is their complete Malik test. It'd be a little bit cheaper, and you can can find out exactly why that pH is high and, and then start addressing from there. Thanks for the question, though. We really do appreciate that because you're right. We do see some of the same situations that we see out in fields, in lawns and in pastures and those types of things, and sometimes the fix is just a little bit different. All right, we got a call that came in uh, yesterday. And sometimes we get calls, uh, 
between 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. Central, we can actually take live calls during uh, our show. If if you're outside of those hours, then then you'll hit a machine that'll record, or, or or you may hit a person that'll take your message down too. But we had a call about SAP samples, and just wondering, compared to soil samples and and plant tissue tests, an alternative to the plant tissue test is SAP sampling. Just wondering what your experience is on SAP samples, and if you have an opinion, if you like them or don't. Well, thanks for the question, first of all. We we do try a lot of things here, and that's one of the fun things about doing what we do and, and really about Brian and I being actual brothers because one of us comes up with an idea and we, the other one will say, well, I don't know how that'll work. Let's try it out on the farm and see what we can learn. Sap samples, that's something that we just haven't done yet on our farm. We mainly do soil samples in the fall and then during the crop season, we'll pick a few fields to do some plant tissue analysis on to kind of track throughout the season how we're doing. If we're getting nutrients in and uh, if we're seeing any consistencies in terms of, hey, we're doing this well or we're doing something else not so well. Well, sap samples is something that is not nearly as popular as plant tissue sampling, partly because there aren't very many labs that are that are doing the analysis work. And I first started talking to some farmers maybe 10 years ago that were sending sap samples overseas to get results. And now there have been a couple of labs that have that have popped up doing this in the United States. So you, you can find labs in the U.S. that will do it. So you can get a fairly quick turnaround now on those sap analysis tests. I don't know much about them because we haven't done them yet on our farm, but the friends that I have that have done them say, well, if you like tissue sampling, this may be something you want to consider because we're getting our answer back a little quicker. So it kind of gives us a heads up of what we're going to be seeing in our tissue samples coming down the road. So it's maybe an earlier indication of a nutrient deficiency that's starting in the plant. So something to consider, we don't really make huge adjustments in season. For us with our heavy soils and low rainfall dry land environment, we can't really make big changes because if we find out, oh, we're really short in zinc, we just, we've already lost the yield and we can't push it through the soil fast enough. We can do a little foliar to try to cover up minor deficiencies maybe, but not big ones. So for us, I don't know that we're going to be doing that, but it's probably something we need to take a look at just to learn. Maybe we'll find out more than what we, I'm sure we'll find out more than what we know right now. And one lesson that my dad gave us when we were growing up, he would always say, all right, if you don't know enough about something, put some of your own money at stake and then you'll become an expert real quick. So we haven't put any of our own money at stake by investing in any SAP testing yet, but maybe that's what we need to do so we can become experts on that. Hey, thanks for the question. We do really appreciate that. Thanks for reaching out. Had a fun show today talking about Goss's wilt, something that we do fight from time to time on our farm. Fortunately, this year has not been a big Goss's year for us. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.